Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here on the DeFelco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFelco. Joe, we're coming up on a uh, big day on Sunday. Yeah, I even shaved already for the week, so you know, you know it's special. Are you whipping out the uh, the dress shirt for this one? The button yeah, down? They dress a little better for the for the bigger shows. No, 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 no shorts and uh, you know a t-shirt. Um, <clears throat> of course, uh, we're uh, we're looking at this Sunday at five p.m. at the Silver Nugget. Um, let's start with the uh, the Rumble itself. Um, right now, how many people <clears throat> are actually announced? Versus how many spots are uh, still mystery spots, surprise spots. Uh, and um, what, were you able to figure out how to get everyone you wanted to get in into the, the rumble itself? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, over the last week, we finalized some stuff. Uh, unfortunately, Jordan Cruz is now unavailable to make it. Hmm. Family thing going on. So, in reality, it opened up a spot. And, you know, we're taping this on Friday. And to be honest, I'm trying to figure out who's going to get that opportunity. You know, it's probably a little too late to to reach out to somebody and hope on a day's notice. So, there's a lot of the younger guys who been on future shocks and some of the high octanes that weren't going to be on this event. So this will be a great opportunity, uh, you know, because we try to mix it up, obviously, you know, uh, right. Going through the, the, the listing of the rumble, uh, 17 wrestlers have held some sort of title in FSW. So that's, more than half the the roster uh, of of the rumble match so you know you can just go from number one's danny limelight former no limits number two damian drake no limits tag team number 30 hero lou tag team champion but then all the guys that we've announced chris bay the mecca grand champion uh and he's Every title, Remy, and you know the, the list goes on and on. Like you know, off the top of my head, I got to think, you know, Sean, and you know, from every title that we had, Kenny King, tag team, first ever FSW heavyweight champion, Fresco and Watson. Tag team wait, champion. wait, wait, wait! You just skipped the big news of Kenny King. Oh, that's old news to me. <laughs> I knew that weeks ago, <laughs> but I ain't no rat. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Kenny just got his release from impact wrestling. Well, he got his release after the tapings uh, three weeks ago. So he had me because they had, his contract was coming up anyway. So it wasn't like, Oh, there's some heat there. Now Kenny's contract was coming up, I believe uh, toward the end of January or around January and their next 
TV taping pay-per-view wasn't until the middle of January anyway. Right. So wanted to get a jump start. And the last tapings were in the middle of So, you know, it was three months of no tapings anyway. So. Right. <clears throat> but the news, but the news just broke. The news broke, yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. You know, to, to, to the average guy like you, the news just broke. You know <laughs> Us insiders already had that info. <laughs> um, and you were just saying Fresco and Watson, of course, former tag champs. Um, it's it, it's an impressive. <clears throat> it's an impressive. Yeah, you got Hammerstone, you got Graves, you got Class. Yeah. You know, so eh, Vandegrift. Eh, yeah. You know. Name somebody, and then you got the opportunity for some of the younger guys like Dante King and RBJ and Fox and AJ Avon, the Black Rose, the uh, Lackey to uh, Jay Vidal, you know. So we've probably announced, I would say, close to 25 of the participants already. So, you know. So we will see, you know, as I said, I, everything's set. There is one spot available and it becomes, you know, we got the pre-show match announced. Uh, the killer D's Davion and Demir are going to wrestle sky high. So odds are they're, they're having a match. I don't need to put them in the rumble. So there, there's, 10 guys from future shock that are ready, willing and able. And the question becomes, you know, Oliver Canada, John trademark. And, you know, that's just off the raw Reese has been back. So there's opportunity for somebody and, you know, who knows, you know, the wrestling weekend pretty much begins today. You know, so God forbid somebody gets hurt Friday or Saturday uh, doing their thing, uh, you know, on a show that they're booked for. But, you know, we're looking. And, yeah, I did make the decision that there will be a tag team, a group, or whatever that will come out together. So... The odds are we're going to have actually 32 participants in the Rumble. So obviously that spot's going to uh, uh, Ricky Tenacious and Brandon G, of course, right? It could be. You never know. (laughs) The luck of the draw. (laughs) Um, You know, and and speaking of that, one of the things I find fascinating is you have Danny Limelight at number one and, you know, saying that he's going to toss everyone out, et cetera. He wants to face everyone and, and win it, et cetera. But um, that also takes the shine off of number two. And isn't it interesting that you have a guy at number two who theoretically, uh, you know, is someone who, you know, with Damian Drake, he, is a proven champion, of course, but is someone who um, could hold his own for, you know, 60 minutes. Um, what's the difference between 
one and two. I mean, is there any difference? Because I've always found that a fascinating thing that there's this, you know, big thing about being number one, but one and two are exactly the same, aren't they? Well, they are, but being number one, it sounds different, you know? <laughs> Lanny, Danny Limelight's not going to go bragging, hey, I'm going to enter at number two. No, you, you, you're going to enter at number one. But one and two is exactly the same. You have to go through the same exact amount of people to to grab the prize. And I was going through the Rumble last year just to, like, look at certain things and, you know, watch how it played out. And... I believe Damian Drake was one or two last year, surprisingly enough. So that was quite interesting. And, you know, I saw some people I didn't realize where they were in there and guys like Bodie were in it. And, you know, that was probably his first real big opportunity, you know, at a, at a casino show. So, you know, the rumble, you know, has a chance to make some new stars and, you know, make a new champion. Like I said, it, it's happened probably three times, two or three times. I know, uh, like I said, Graves didn't even win the Rumble, but he won the Rumble. Uh, he won the heavyweight title yeah. by laying out Shogun. And Chris Bay, the second time around, he beat Hammerstone to win. Uh, the legendary L.A. Knight, Sean Ricker, was the Rumble winner who ended up going on to beat Cross for the heavyweight title that night. So that's three that I know of already. Yeah. Um, what does ICE have to do uh, in terms of, you know, being ready? Um, it's one of those things where you look at – uh, kind of that blurred line between reality and behind the curtain and, you know, and the show of wrestling. But as the champion and knowing you're going to have to defend that night, what kind of mindset do you have to have um, to make sure that that performance at the end of the night is, you know, the top of the line, you know, second to none, because... The, the rumble itself draws all the attention. Now you're talking about the final match of the night and, um, you know, ice is going to have to step his game up to, uh, to really kind of make sure that the crowd leaves uh, entertained. Right. Well, yeah, but you got to understand now it, it, look at the list of people, Danny Limelight and Damian Drake, ice Williams has wrestled and beaten them. Right. Uh, uh, Hero Lou, he beat recently. Vandergrift, he's defeated. Shogun, he's defeated. Hammerstone, he's defeated. And, you know, sure, there's certain guys in that match that he probably has never. Remy, he's defeated. Right. Like, yeah, maybe he's not wrestled class. Maybe he's not wrestled Graves. Maybe he's not wrestled Devin Reno. But Jimmy Jack, uh, Jimmy Jack, but the majority of guys, or if I was going to say, you know, who the top 10 or 12 favorites to win the rumble are, 
I'm pretty sure Ice Williams has been in the ring with at least 10 of the 12. You know what I mean? So, you know, mindset-wise, he knows he's probably going to wrestle somebody he's had the opportunity to wrestle before. And, you know, unless Kenny King wins, you know, then obviously, you know, what happens in that situation? A guy like Clutch, you know, he just came off wrestling ice and his confidence is through the roof now. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, and the undercard features, you know, three other title matches. Yeah. So, you know, I just got hit up by Chris Bay. Uh, he's like, hey, did you you see Britney's promo? It's fire. Did we produce it? And I was like, no, nah, I don't think Mikey did. And then I checked it out. And you can see it's it was probably filmed in Arizona. Yeah. And, you know, a star, you know, stars could be born anywhere. You yeah. know, Eva Van, Britney Brooks, Rochelle Riveter. And then you got... You know, the grudge match, it took a lot to put together, but Jay Vidal and Nick Xander. Right. That's the only non-title match that is happening. Right. You know, Jacob Austin Young, luck of the draw. Who's going who's go- who's gonna to show up for the Nevada State Championship match? And Bodie gets his one-on-one rematch with Braxton. Yeah. So we could have four new champions. Right. And after the night is done. So you also have a briefcase, Joe. So you technically we we also have a case, you know, five title changes. Matt's giving himself a couple of shots. He's he's in the rumble and he's the guy who won the rumble last year. Right. And if things don't work out in the rumble, he can always cash in later. Yeah. So. But again, maybe he cash. Maybe if somehow Braxton wins, he decides to shut up Braxton. Yeah, sure. Maybe he answers the challenge, loses, and then cashes in on Jacob Boston Young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there are so many possibilities with that briefcase. Just maybe still- he lays out Brittany Brooks and becomes the women's champion and takes her spot. <laughs> and he wins Viva Bear. You know, if if you uh, if you pulled that move, that would be one of the, you know, most shocking and ridiculous things ever done. And uh... you know, people people want shocking. People don't want to know or think they're going to know everything that's going to happen at the show. True. True. Even um, though everybody's probably sitting there contemplating who's winning and what, who's winning this and who's winning that because that's what wrestling fans do. You know, yeah. when, I was, when I was a young pup before I thought I'd be a uh, wrestling promoter, ah, oh, they need to do this and all oh, this, that, and the other thing. I can't believe it. That's the shits. I would do a better job, you know. And now, and now you're proving it. being a fan. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> let's face it, the reality is 
I think future legends would be kind of mad at you if you had Matt Vandergriff put out Brittany Brooks because of the fact that they're both brand ambassadors. <laughs> Come on, Joe. That, yeah, that that is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you you just said this uh, Xander J. Vidal match. Um, they've had a, a, a very long history, of course. Now, um, the fans have responded very well uh, to the whole buildup that they've had, uh, you know, for the months that it's been. How do they go out there and not let the it become a disappointment? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do how do they deliver on that match? Because this is the pinnacle of that feud. Well, in, in reality, the thing is, everybody looks at it. They are segments. You know, you, you you don't like to believe that, but you're hoping the build is there. And then you're hoping, you know, obviously you have people that fans care about. So, you know, this is a situation where, you know, you're going to have to take a lot of like, whew, the rumble match, man, that's crazy. Now you got to take a step back and you got to pause for a second. And then it's like, oh, shit, probably a championship match. You know, right now I'm still contemplating there's there's six matches total. Obviously, the rumble will be number one. Uh, the women's match will be number five and the heavyweight championship match will be number six. So I'm still contemplating where we're going to go with two, three, and four. So I'm leaning toward the Nevada state title match to be the one that follows the rumble because, okay, there's going to be the anticipation of who Jacob Austin Young's opponent's going to be. So that gives you the chance to take that deep breath and then soak it in like, oh, shit, oh, cool. You know, because it's not the match that anybody knows that what, what is happening yet. So by not knowing, it could get people back up again because, you know, right. it's up and down and up and down. So to me, having that as match two might be the way to go. And then match three is a toss-up because you could say, hey, well, you follow that up with the one that isn't the title match, but then you have three title matches in a row. Right. So if you say, hey, you follow that up with a no-limits title match, and then you go rumble, two title matches – no title match, two title matches. So, you know, just depending on, you know, how I feel about it. You know, again, I got a couple days, you know, having everything in place. Pretty much the rumbles in place. But now it's on the production end. No spider going to be at the show. We've got to make sure that the 10 second countdown, as I said last week, got to make sure that it isn't a minute and 22 seconds for one guy and a minute and 14 seconds for another. It's got to be a minute. Right. Oh, we, we, we can't make that match go 30 minutes long because 20 minutes of it was not getting the guys out there in time. Right. 
So, you know, that's got to get all put in place and things. So, you know, I'm going to be real busy. The, the good thing is we're actually setting up Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. Okay. By setting up Saturday night, all the chairs, everything's set. You know, the equipment will be there. So now at worst, we have all day to fidget around and make sure everything's good. You know, probably tonight I'll be working on, you know, getting the entrance songs in order. That way, Kaylee, just in case she's not there. I don't know. I hit her up to, to double check. I'm like, I'm going to assume she is, but you can't assume anything. Right. We've had shows where it's like, oh, shit, where's the fucking staff? And that's like, oh, you know, who had to work and who had to do something else? And it's like now all of a sudden it's a skeleton crew trying to handle the biggest show that, you know, we will have, you know, two months prior and two months after. You know, the biggest show in four months and then nobody's here. Right. So can't have that. You know, we got, you know, Miranda's our ring announcer. We got Cody and we got Amber as the referees. You know, we we have Jake, pretty sure NJ. If I have to fill in, it's kind of tough because I'm going to be in the back making sure that those minutes become the minute. If I have to hold the fucking stopwatch and be like, hit the music, get him out there. I got to make sure I tell the guys, don't wait 12 seconds to the perfect beat of the song hits for you to walk out. Your music hits, get the fuck out there. I don't care if you fall down the ramp like Hammerstone. But at least he got out there. <laughs> um, hey, that brings up a great question. Um, what, uh, in your recollection, what is one or a couple of uh, the funniest memories you have of something maybe going a little in the uh, front? Uh, I guess, yeah, Hammerstone falling. That was That was pretty funny. Uh, then last year, behind the curtains, uh, Graves had a little issue with A.J. Manna. And it got a little uh, it got a little more violent than I think it needed to be. I think it was time for somebody to go, and he didn't want to go, and Graves ain't the guy to uh, pull that on. So... Uh, and is there any... Uh... Any memories you have of um, something that you conceptualized, uh, you know, a particular moment that you saw in your head that you think was maybe the best, uh, you know, the best that was pulled off in all, all the rumbles you've done? Is there a certain, you know, a certain memory that stands out as being your favorite um, idea that came to life uh, and worked perfectly. No, I, I, I can more or less think of the time that I thought I conceptualized something awesome and it just didn't really work, which was when we were doing uh, Juicy and EC3 yeah. simultaneous. So they made it a triple threat match. It's like, okay, EC3 aligns with MK, Juicy's with MK. Oh, shit, now it's a triple threat to get the belt of Hammerstone. And for whatever reason, it just came off very flat. Yeah. And people were like, what the fuck? Kind of looking confused. 
you know, thankfully uh, we had an entire next day to actually do the match right. instead of because it was combining against all odds with the anniversary show and did it a two night spectacular. And, yeah. you know, that was just something that it was like, yeah, you know, I, I think the uh, Graves laying out Shogun before the main event and then winning I thought that was pretty well done because we really put over Hammerstone and Graves. At that point, we had them earlier win the tag titles because Graves cashed in the case that he won that night, cashed in on Royce and Jarrell. Uh, Hammerstone was the Nevada State champion. They're both tag team champions. And now at that show, Graves became the heavyweight champion. So kind of all the belts were held by them. And then unfortunately for us, Hammerstone became unavailable. MLW sent him to Japan. And then we had to do a survival of the fittest match. And we used Dom and Gallo. But the main person was Hammerstone and he wasn't there. Right. So that kind of, it's like, you know, like Dom and Gallo, but they're not widely known and Gallo a little bit more, but had barely been used in FSW in a long time. Like, Oh, who's this guy? You know? And then we did the thing and Graves walked out. He was the heavyweight champion, which (coughs) led to other things, but you know, not everything works exactly the way you want. You can put it on paper the worst matches could be the best matches. The best matches could be the worst matches. Yeah. Only come up with ideas that you think will work. But no matter how good the idea is, the participants need to make it work. Right. And I was telling people at the school, yeah, some of the worst matches we had was uh, was a Kenny and Ke- a Brian Cage and a Kenny and Ricker, L.A. Knight. You know, and for whatever reason it is, those guys knew each other extremely well and they had a shitty match. Everybody has a shitty match. That's why we say you never stop improving. You never, you never, you never just mail it in. You know, if you don't work at your craft, how are you going to get better? You know, the best baseball players take batting practice right before the game every single day. They practice that week, football players. So why should wrestlers only show up the day of the show after they haven't had a match for two, three weeks and expect to have the best match possible? You know, you need to work on things. Hey, the timing, whatever it is, you know, what do they say in baseball? Oh, he just came back from injury. Well, it's going to take a little time because he didn't really have any preseason to get right. get warmed up. There's the big talk in the NFL about, you know, a lot of the guys don't play in the preseason, and then they use that as the excuse for why more guys may get injured or more guys may not be at their top peak, and it usually will click a team – a team might click in the third, fourth, fifth week. And I always remember there was teams that they were the best teams and they would always start off like the Patriots one and two, and then they'd go like 11 and one the rest of the season. 
because you don't know the personnel and everything you got. So it's the same thing in wrestling. If you're not training, you're not putting in the work, all of a sudden a couple of shows get canceled, and all of a sudden you didn't wrestle for two, three weeks. Yeah, it's in your mind. You know how to do it, but you have to practice. You have to get better all the time. Well, doesn't that also come down to um, not only the athletic part of wrestling, but the showmanship, the the character build? I mean, it's it's really one of the only professions that blends two different professions together. So, you know, the more you uh, are living or practicing the character, the more that you know, you know, what you can and can't do as that particular uh, character. Is that something that's important to, you know, to not just utilize the idea of practicing in the ring, but practicing your your character outside of the ring. Well, in, in sports and baseball, five-tool player. There's guys that, you know, there's guys who do three or four things great, and they're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. There's the few that do five things great, and they're considered possibly the greatest of all time. Right. You know, Tom Brady – you know, here was a guy who was the backup quarterback in college. He wasn't even the starter in college. Yeah. And you say, wow, how did fucking Michigan miss the boat? Tom Brady, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He couldn't even start for his college team. But yeah. as you get older, the, the, the job is to get better. So maybe his work ethic wasn't there. You know, maybe the other guy got it handed to him and he played well because he had a really good team and, and, and Brady couldn't get in. Well, it's the same thing in wrestling. Go, you know, go look at guys when they first started. And now you look at them and it's like, damn, this motherfucker is putting in the work. You know, right. you see guys and it's like, wow, now they're in phenomenal shape. You know, they were always in really good shape. But now they're in phenomenal shape. Right. And a guy who's good on the mic doesn't stop because he's good on the mic. He's good on the mic and is looking to become great on the mic. And work ethic is, is a thousand percent. It's where do you see yourself now? Do you see yourself on top of FSW? Awesome. That's really good stuff. Or do you see yourself on top of AEW or WWE? Right. You know, look at Chris Bay. I, I joke he's, he's been they've been popping up from the feeds of stuff like four four years ago. Well, right. four years ago, he was our champion. Yeah. But look at him now. And it's like, holy shit. Four years ago, you were not that he was scrawny, but compared to what he is now. Yeah. His gear and his look and the way he holds himself. Yep that the improvement from year one to year three was, was crazy. Right. The improvement from year three to year seven is just a continuous to where this guy is going to be seen by the major companies. You know, yeah. he, he went through the loop at impact, decided to stay, but once it ends again, same thing with Hammerstone. 
Yeah. You know, same thing with Cross. Same thing with Cage. Same thing with Ricker. You know, look at Sefa. Yeah. Oh, he looks totally different. Yeah. Look at look at Zoe. Yeah. That's yeah. Look at Jay Vidal, little scrawny dude. Who yeah. was really good, but he was a skinny kid. And now, you know, his arms are huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, but it, it, is that something, too? Again, the whole idea of, you know, uh, he, he kind of said it, uh, that the, the I'm a wrestler versus I'm a professional wrestler. Right. There's too many people who say I'm a professional wrestler that work 40 hours a week at Walmart or Smith's or, or whatever it is. And it's no disrespect for you to work there. You got to make a living and do stuff. But don't be the guy who's working for 30 bucks and, and you wrestle four times a month to call yourself a professional wrestler. Right. You know, I remember when Brian Cage had a day job. You know, I remember Adam from the Reno scum. He was a nurse and he had the day job. And, you know, I remember Hammerstone was a cook. You know, it's like I remember all these guys. And I remember Chris Bay telling his employers, ah, fuck you. I'm going to be a wrestler. I ain't going to work. I ain't missing out on my show. So, you know, to each their own. And everybody has to figure out how to get there. But I've seen way too many guys use the excuse of having to work to not make training. Well, that that's great. As I say, you know, you want to pay your month and show up five times. That's awesome. But right. don't think you're going to get very far. It's very rare that somebody's going to come in and train once a week from day one and become, holy shit, this guy got signed. Right. That is not happening. You know, when you uh, when you think about those odds of uh, actually getting signed to a major company, um, and and the success that you've seen out of the people you've worked with, is there something that is a common thread? between all of them who have made it to that level? Yeah, it's putting in the work. It's me showing up for a six o'clock class at 530. And I see five or six guys that are there that are top guys on our show. And they're there working out, you know, when the pandemic was there and and that's when the the tight knit unit of you know Jay Vidal and Van de Griff and Damian Drake and Lacey Ryan, you know they'd show up and, and Oasis is a guy who'd come in, and there's a lot of people that would put in extra time. It wouldn't be like, hey, I'm just going to show up at training because what do you do? Cody has a class. There's 13 people in the class. Okay, well your time for you to do stuff is going to be limited because there's 12 other people that are doing their roles and doing the basic stuff. And and that, that eats up time. And then, okay, now you're going to sit on the side and you're going to do a practice match and 
You're going to talk about it for a little while, and then you're going to go out there and you're going to do a six, seven-minute match. And that's going to basically take up the rest of the class. Okay, but if you're there at 3 o'clock and there's four of you or five of you, you're working on everything you want to work on. Come to a class. You're going to work on what the trainer has you working on. And in most cases, there's going to be more beginners than advanced guys. And that's why we kind of instilled, hey, we're going to have D-Lo run an advanced class. You younger guys can sit in and listen and watch. But if there's any shit that's going on in the ring, it's going to be for the experienced guys. Uh, I was there because we were at the hockey game. I saw a Braxton post. So next week, we're going to be doing a promo class with D-Lo. So now everybody's going to get a chance to cut promos, whatever, and get critiqued by a guy who makes decisions on who might get an opportunity or looked at at a pre-show match and a dark match at Impact when they come to Vegas. Because you know Kilo is going to try to get a couple of our guys on, but he isn't the be-all, end-all. You know, they have a creative crew, and they got Scott Demore. So they also have people they know from California. No different than AEW, you know, or the Suavecitos. They, they, they finally got an opportunity. And Titus Alexander and Johnny Robbie and the faction have had chances. And Rochelle and, you know, Maz. And they're always – all these companies are looking for extra talent. And it's not a, it's not a downgrade to, to go out there and be enhancement talent. It's, hey, this is what we need. Let's see what you can do. If you go out there, it isn't how much offense you're getting in because you're probably not getting any. It's how you react, how a star on the indie scene reacts to being a jobber on an AEW dark match that's going to be on YouTube. Right. And the attitude and the mentality and how eager you seem to be about the situation. And that's how they read. And that that's it's almost like an internship. Yeah. And it's just, it's better for you because you don't have to sit there five days a week just doing grunt work. Right. You come in when there's the day of the tapings, hey, we need you for this. And, and just because you didn't get picked doesn't mean because I'm better than you and I got picked. It's the same thing when it comes into the wrestling. Yeah. Just because you're further along than that person is, I need that person for a reason. I need this person whose main attributes are, hey, man, this guy really sells well. He, he understands how to make his opponent look good. You know, that's what I'm looking for. Like, if I'm trying to build up this younger guy, but I'm not sure yet, I'm not going to bring in Eli Everfly or Brandon Gatson and have them put over this guy that I'm not sure if he's ready or not. Right. I'm going to bring in another younger guy who might be close who people think that he might be worthy of an opportunity. And I will give that guy the opportunity. And like Fox and RBJ and Trademark, they, when they've gotten their opportunities, they performed. When Jimmy Jack wasn't going to be on a show and Kenny pushed for it and it was like, okay, I got a spot for him. Came out, crowd loved him. You know, does he need work in the technical wrestling form? Sure. But he's a big guy. He gets over. Uh, he hits. He hits some big moves. 
and the crowd is engaged in him. Yeah. He's made himself a valuable part just because I wasn't looking at him doesn't mean anything because I can't look at everybody. Right. <clears throat> but I did know he's the guy <clears throat> that when we need help, he's going to be there. So when I hear about that, when I hear about a guy who works hard, puts efforts in, and now he's progressing, you got to reward a guy for that. Yeah. And we've had some guys who have worked hard when it came to doing their in-ring stuff, and then they disappeared. And those are guys we've had issues with. And sometimes the right person needs to speak to them and make them aware because they like to look at it as, ah, oh, fuck Joe. He's an asshole. He just doesn't like, me. no, I don't like the way you present yourself. Right. You know, it's great to have a Remy and a Cody and a Kenny and a sin put you over because they're only seeing that part of you. Right. The other part is the shit I got to deal with. <clears throat> the, Oh, I'm, I'm coming to help out for the show and I'll just sit in the back the whole time. Right. It didn't help <clears throat> because you think you were on future shock three times that nobody could see you in the work setting because you're a star now. So yeah. God forbid you're out on the floor and telling somebody, Hey, you're, you're over there. You need to sit there. or You're going to be part of a security brawl because you're a wrestler and you got beat up on future shock twice. No, you're what I need you to be. And if you can't be what I need you to be, you're not going to be what you want to be. That's the part of the growing process. And some guys get it and it takes a little while and some guys never get it and they choose to go elsewhere. And that's fine. Everybody's an individual. They make their choices, but it's my company. And this is what I expect from you. You know, a lot of times I talk with Remy and he's like, ah, oh, you know, you got to sit these guys. It's like, bro, you don't know how many times I could tell somebody the same fucking things. It's like, it's not magic. Yeah. Like they know. Well, it, let me, let me, let me ask stupid you this. does. Let me ask you this, because I think this is, this is something that, uh, I, I've, uh, found myself, uh, and you know, this is, uh, years, um, in the making, uh, in terms of, um, putting this kind of together, um, when I started to do my weight loss, it was a point where things that I had been told for years, uh, things that I should have done, et cetera, et cetera, the guidance that I had, guys like DDP, um, for 15, 20 years, it couldn't reach me. It couldn't reach me. I, it was in front of me. I heard it, but I couldn't comprehend it. I wasn't ready. And then as soon as I was ready, things just clicked. Is that something that, you know, happens with some of the guys where, you know, the first couple of years, it's rough because they are, you know, 
young. They're not really absorbing what they're learning. Um, they think they know things or they're making excuses for themselves. And then it clicks where those words start resonating and things start happening to where you start realizing this is what I need to do to progress myself and make that life for myself that I want to have. Is that, you know, is that just something that is, you know, unfortunately a case of a lot of times just youth being youth? Yeah, because here's the way it breaks down. So you go to wrestling school, you start training, you start getting better, you start getting put on shows, you make friends. Now you're a low-end guy and you make friends with Jay Vidal. You make friends with Damian Drake, Matt Vandegrift, whatever, whoever. And you hop in a car and you go with them to Arizona, the Dom show, or you go to California and you get an opportunity and you do well. And you're always going to have people in your head or in your ears telling you, like, oh, man, you're better than that. Why, why, why are you jobbing at FSW? You're, you're way better than this guy or that guy. And number one, your ego is what's going to drive you in the business. If, if you don't feel you could be great at something, you never will be great at something. So when people, and you see it with our fans, you know, we'll have a pre-show match with two kids that did, uh, you know, okay. And then after the show, oh, man, that was great. You're awesome. <clears throat> you don't hear sometimes that your trainers or the boss tells you, man, you need to work on that. The punches were the shits. But you're, right. The fans loved it. You know, they probably didn't watch everything. But the fans, they're sitting there watching. They're telling me I'm great. And if you hear it enough, you're going to believe it. Right. And go somewhere else and you've been putting in the time in FSW and I look like I'm giving you something or in my opinion, I'm giving you something. And at the time you think I'm giving you something, but then you're getting something more somewhere else or, Hey, we want to build stuff around you or, Hey, we want to do this. Well, why doesn't Joe see that? All right. You know? And, and it's like, sometimes you'd like to sit back and say, okay, here's my top 10. Hammerstone, Bay, whatever. Right. Who are you better than to give you that? Right. Like, you know, you're a year in. You're two years in. I remember yelling and I have arguments with the Swabazitos all the time. It's like, guys, for, for, for guys that are in doing this a year, a year and a half, you guys are awesome. But if you've been doing this seven years, you're not that good. Right. You, you improve. You, you get better. You know, and, but, I think that, but isn't that a great example? They're they're an example of where they were and where they are and where they're going is almost a perfect blueprint because you're seeing them start to mature. They're getting opportunities. And when they go out there, they're obviously delivering. Yeah. You know, they've gotten to work some great matches in California. You know, <laughs> first off. Being a really solid independent tag team is very rare this right. day and age. Right. So now you got two guys, they, they play the part, they got the gimmick, they got the character. So they're going to be utilized 
because you look at them and you say, that's a tag team. Right. When, when, when Matt and, and, and Damian Drake pulled off the unguided, they were getting good opportunities. Yeah. Maybe more so than they were individually. And they'd been around and, and they were good. But the unguided was something a little different. It was uh, it was a tag team that garnered attention. Right. You know, GCW, Brett knew them. But when they were doing the unguided thing, even up until like six, eight months ago when he had a show and he had them both on, they were the unguided. Yeah. Because that was a team, you know, you could probably count on one hand, you know, for a while it was like, uh, Cholo and uh, Mariachi Loco, and then they were kind of a hot tag team on the West Coast. Yeah, and, and Royce and Jarrell have really taken that to the next level, but now they're getting these opportunities. <clears throat> so their time on the Indies is based on their availability, based on anything New Japan might be doing. I saw they got to be on AEW uh, this past week. So they're on the radar. And a lot of the tag teams that do exist, if they're signed, that limits what's available on the indie circuit. Right. You know, you had death proof. Well, they decided to do their own things. You know, they were starting to get a little bit of love. You know, Toa and Juicy, they had to go their separate ways because Toa got signed. And then Juicy worked with the Samoans in MLW and he had the belts. And you had uh, the bodega. Well, Danny Limelight is in that position where, as a singles guy, he is breaking out, and he is a single star. So now his tag teams with Papo Esco and Slice Boogie, there they happen, but he's generally a singles wrestler now. Right. <laughs> because the shelf life of a tag team is, is going to be short because, first off, in most cases, I put the Suavecitos together. I put Royce and Jarrell together. I put, hey, here's an idea. They were back in the day with the following, Cody and Jake together. Right. All of them are individuals who want to be stars. And you can't always cut the promo. Jake lives in Arizona. Cody lives in Vegas. Hey, Cody likes doing a little more of the hardcore stuff. Jake's more of the technical Japanese style. So even though it works in the tag team, other opportunities present themselves. Right. So Jake didn't really want any part of teaming with Cody to wrestle Nick Gage getting hit with light tubes. Right. That's his prerogative. There's no harm, no foul, but putting Funny Bone in there with Cody made more sense for the match that we were doing. Right. So everybody has their thoughts, their goals, stopgap, Shogun and Hero, even though Shogun was way up here and Hero was here, putting them together probably brought up Hero and maybe dropped Shogun down a little because now he's perceived as a tag team wrestler. And again, as they progress and they work together great and things now, we have our own ideas. I want to be the heavyweight champion. I want to be the heavyweight champion. And sometimes you got to go your own way. Sometimes it's peacefully. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. So 
Royce and Jarrell took the tag team idea. They're the ultimate because they were guys that didn't even know each other, really, and put themselves together and then basically made a vow to be the best tag team on the West Coast. And they went out and did that, but they didn't do it by, hey, I'll see you at the show Friday. It was now we're driving together. We're working out together. I remember I I, I messaged them one time. This was kind of early on in their stages. And I always remember with the Reno scum and Luster, because Adam was injured, had a nice feud with Tyshawn. Adam, we considered a no limits champion type of guy when Luster wasn't around. Right. But it, it took a special occasion for them to wrestle each other. Right. And I remember it was a show, I think in San Diego or something. And I saw it was Royce versus Jarrell. And I quickly messaged them. I'm like, guys, you know, if you guys want to are really looking to establish yourselves, you guys need to be joint together. You know, it has to be a really special fucking reason. Like, you know, the king of the Indies and you two guys are in the finals and you got to wrestle each other, you know, to give it away in some random show in front of 70 people just shouldn't need to be because it isn't about the money. Right. You're trying to establish yourselves, you know. Axe and Smash didn't fight each other until they were one and two in the Rumble. Right. They were a tag team, and that's where they were moving forward. Now, if you're a guy who's, like, in a tag team and you're like, yeah, I want to be a singles guy, and you don't really give a fuck, then you don't give a fuck. Then it doesn't matter. Right. Then you do whatever, because this is going to be as short-term as possible. Yeah. And if you want it to be long-term, and I think the Suavecitos are in a position to make that long-term. Yeah. Because their characters meld together. You know, they're they're a little undersized. So they could do some singles things if they want uh, outside of stuff, but they've established themselves. And me putting Adrian Quest with them is funny because we didn't do it for that long. And I thought it would help them as the, the veteran who understands the business. And I think that helped a lot. But yeah. now if on the West Coast, anytime it's a six-man, Los Suavecitos is now Danny, Ricky, and Adrian. Yeah. And them with special guest Adrian Quest. You know what I mean? So they've played up, and I think Johnny Robbie's gotten involved on the West Coast with the gimmick and the characters and things like that. And yeah. it's all about making yourself valuable. And, you know, that's why I like a team like – EJ Sparks and Thugnificent. Yeah. The regulators. You know, they do their single stuff. You see them. One of them's like the the champ. They both might be champs in the Arizona wrestling, IZW, whatever. There's ABC, CDE, you know, they got a million things. But they've established themselves as the team in Arizona that seems to be getting a lot of the love. Yeah. <laughs> and when they were brought to my attention, I knew AJ Sparks from long ago from booking some shows in Arizona. 
And then Doug Nificen through Jacob Austin Young. He's like, hey, I really like this guy. I want to take a look at him. we will hit you up. It just didn't really have anything. And then we needed a tag team. And it was like, when I see a tag team, I want to see guys that gel. I want to see guys that do tag team moves. I want to see a tag team. I right. grew up, you know, the fucking Midnight Express. That was my team. You know, the, the Heart Foundation, the yeah. Bulldogs, hated the Killer Bees. But other than that, you know, you really were enthralled in tag team wrestling. Wait, and you wait, watched wait. two guys tag. Wait, Joe. <gasps> did you just not like the Killer Bees because you couldn't tell which one was which when they put the masks on? Nah, I just didn't like them. I didn't like that team at all. <laughs> like, I'm glad they never won the title. <laughs> no. There's always teams I hated. The Fantastics, I hated. Oh, the Fantastics, like, yeah. I hated the Rock and Roll Express. And I hated the oh. Fantastics because they were just rip-offs of the Rock and Roll Express. Roll Express, yeah. You know, there was a team I loved for like four months. They were starting to get a push, the New Breed. And it was Chris Champion and another guy. And the guy got into a car crash and he got fucked up. And I don't think he really wrestled. Uh, yes. Sean Royal, I think his name was. Wow. I liked... Uh, well, they were the Orient Express later, but when Tanaka and Paul Diamond were in AWA managed by Diamond Dallas Page, yeah, I was always a big fan of Pat Tanaka. He's a crazy motherfucker. I like Pat Tanaka as a person, but he's a crazy motherfucker. We've had him around a couple times. You know, he's the epitome of a crazy wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> Tag team wrestling and managers. That's why you've seen the Sallies, the Stu Stones, the MKs, always trying to bring in that because I think it enhances because there's some guys that aren't five-tool players. Right. And there's certain guys that look like monsters, wrestle like monsters. You'd be afraid of them in a dark alley, but they were never able to put a promo together right. that would be like, oh. So when you had the Heenan family and he put these guys together, all these guys were legitimate number one contenders to wrestle Hogan because they had the mouthpiece. Or then you had a guy like Nick Bockwinkle, who's one of the best talkers in the business, still have a manager. Yeah. And it's like, I always look at that and see what's missing, say, in the indies, where, you know, managers are a lot of times a dime a dozen. You right. know, a lot of people, oh, I want to come in and who are you? Nobody knows you. We're not bringing you in to just manage somebody. Again, there's eight or nine matches. Not everybody needs a manager. Right. You know, you, you try, you try to fit people in and you, and you try to do things. But when it came to tag teams, man, it's like, I want to see that continuity. I want to see guys. I put together teams that it was just two individuals and then they just made a tag when they made a tag. And it, it was, it's a bit, <laughs> You know, that's why I love the scum and the commandos back in the day, you know, and they were able to do the trickery because they were the twins, you know, right. and they were the, the, the early success of FSW was built on tag teams, yeah. you know, cyanide and vintage dragon. And we, we were moving those belts around and we'd bring in these teams and it was good shit. And it's funny because we had more tag teams because when we first started, 
there's no such thing as local tag teams, right. you know, funny bone and legacy together. Cause they were the Vegas guys. And that was about it. Anybody else we used was from out of state. So they've already established themselves on the Indies as a tag team. So, you know, I didn't really know who Cyanide and Vintage Dragon were. Brought them in. We were doing a show at the Rancho Swap Meet. We thought there's going to be a lot of Latinos there. And there weren't. But they were a good gelling tag team, you know. Cyanide was, you know, the big bruiser. And Vintage Dragon was the flyer. And probably held our belts three times. And then we had the commandos. And then we brought in the scum. And it was like, wow, this this is awesome. And brought in the Young Bucks, you know, to work with the scum. And we added the Young Bucks on the very first show we did. So I've always been fans of that. <laughs> so I see things like, hey, you know, two Louisiana po'boys, you know, Jimmy Jack and Chase Bell. Chase is kind of floundering, not really doing much. Jimmy Jack really getting over but Chase has got a lot of talent. Sometimes he gets in his own head, whatever. I think this could be a good tag team. And, yeah, I'll say I put them together. But Chase Bell and Jimmy Jack trained together years ago in Louisiana where they were friends. And Chase got Jimmy Jack to come to Vegas. So how is that not a great story of yeah. them being in a tag team? Yeah. Because I'm – because look how many look look who our tag teams were three years ago, and look who our tag teams were a year ago, and yeah. the only constant constant is is like sky high, right? Well, they're two brothers, so generally, they're you know unless they fight, they may break out and become the Hardys and fight each other, but you know. In between, we've mixed and matched the different teams. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our guys, they've gone on and they've done the, from the tag, they go into the singles. So it's also a good opportunity when sp spots are tight. And, and that's how a lot of situations came. That was how it was. Spots were tight. Royce and Jarrell, four tag teams went to China. Hey, this is what I need. They were pros. Hey, if this gives us more and better opportunities, we'll do it. And then they made themselves irreplaceable. Yeah. So it uh, and so from the earlier part of the conversation, it's all about work ethic. It's what you're it's what you're willing to put in to get there. Right. Um and through this whole conversation, the only thought I could think was, did you uh did you have a smile on your face when uh, Danny was getting uh, pummeled in the ring uh, on AEW? Actually, I didn't see the clip. I saw them post the clip after the fact, but I know it was short, but that's what their job is. You know, it was, it was fantastic. No, it was fantastic. You know. <laughs> and, and go, if you get a chance to watch that, it's, it's entertaining because Tony Schiavone has trouble saying the words Los Suavecitos. Really? And, yeah. And apparently uh, they, they, uh, they tagged them as having had a bunch of drinks before the match. Well, I, I heard basically they were announced as Danny and some other guy. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah, but it but it is exactly what you're saying. They went in, they did the job, and they looked fantastic because they made them look fantastic, you know? And that's the thing. That's when you that's when you're starting to go, that's a professional wrestler. Because they make the other person look good when they are told to do so. And I think that, that you know, like you said, as a tag team too, especially. There's so much equity when you can build a, a, a reputation and then, you know, a place like New Japan takes notice, um, especially, you know, guys on the West Coast having so many connections to a place like New Japan. It's it's just fabulous what you can do, uh, you know, through being a tag team or again being just a professional and and getting yourself out there and being respected and uh it's it's amazing to see um as we wrap up here again uh luck of the draw is sunday at the silver nugget um the hefe uh the hefe bed event center it's behind the nugget so you can't walk in through the nugget because it's still closed so that way there's no confusion you know, that still kind of worries me a little that, uh, oh, isn't the Nuggets still closed? It's like, well, you know, it's just like the last time. The the, the event center has is open. And you, you can just follow yeah. the smell follow the smell of the taco stand to get back there. There you go. Why are there tacos being cooked in this place that's closed? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it starts at 5 p.m. Uh, you can catch it on Fight TV, too, Fight Plus, uh, if you uh, are not in Vegas uh, or if you can't make it out. Uh, but uh, get your tickets. This is uh, always, you know, one of the, I guess. Fun shows. Yeah. It was one of the most fun shows that we have is usually the Rumble show. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most entertaining nights because you get to see – uh, not only do you get to see the Rumble and, and you know, in this case now, four title matches, but also you get to see uh, storylines that are going to be potentially going forward for the next couple of months start right there in the Rumble. So that's always a great thing if you're, you know, just uh, getting into FSW or if you haven't watched in a while, uh you know, to get to know the people, the Rumble is a great opportunity to, to uh, you know, get an idea of uh, who the, the guys are and uh, who has a problem with who, which is always fun. So everybody's got a problem with everybody. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see if Ice Williams uh, does walk out still champion. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, Vandergriff cashes in on someone. Uh, you know, that's that's again one of my favorite things too is that that is a holdover uh, for as long as almost a year. If you know, like Braxton, full year, and has now been uh, you know a very good no limits champion. So, well, you know, Bra- Braxton's in a different position than Matt Vandergriff. Right. Braxton hasn't won very many matches on his own. So he had to have the perfect timing to cash in. And obviously securing Kenny King as part of the faction, what you know, 
whatever you say about anything I'll say about Braxton, it, you know, the faction put together a brilliant plan to get that guy the belt. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, uh, the faction, great example of guys who, man, you talk about, look at the difference day and night for, you know, the last three years, it's amazing to watch them evolve. And I think that's one of the best things that you do. Uh, it, it really is guys like that, that you go, ah, this is why it's future stars because you see the evolution and, uh, it's fabulous, man. Yeah, you know, and it's great for the fans, you know. They they know that, you know, I've said it from day one, that we were, we were successful a lot of times without posting exactly what the card was going to be because they had trust that Joe was going to put together a good card and they would see new people that they may have never seen before that were very, very good. Yeah. You know, no offense, but it's a lot of potluck out there. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And, you know, you, you've said it many a times in Vegas. You're competing against uh, so many different entertainment things you can do here that... Um, competing against F1, brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know... You should you should have run your you should have run a show at uh, Saturday night at 10 p.m. going directly yeah. head to head. <laughs> yeah, and I would have showed him. <laughs> I wouldn't have charged eleven thousand dollars for a VIP seat either. <laughs> but you know what? Those people got it. They want to spend it. You know, people are complaining all they want about it. But the fact of the matter is, you know, oh well, what is it doing for us? Well, first off. We always say, all us locals, that we like we never go on the strip anyway. Right. Who's it fucking hurting? So the people that do go on the strip are generally the workers. I would assume if you're a bartender or you're a blackjack dealer and you're working at the Bellagio, who you're making good money anyway, but I guarantee you, your tokes will be a bit higher that weekend. Yep. So, you know... It's the same people that bitch and moan about the, the Oakland Raiders coming to Vegas. It's like, how much money did it come out of your fucking pocket? Right. Like, oh, oh, the money was supposed to go. It's like, how about you worry more about that? The marijuana money was supposed to go to the schools. Where did right. that go? Yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, congratulations uh, to the A's, which is now going to be Vegas's new baseball team, man. You know, it's funny, and it's like nobody in Oakland gave a fuck about the A's now that they're leaving. Oh, I can't believe they're leaving. Look, the city did not want to build a stadium. They had to play in the old football stadium for fucking ever. Yep. And one of the worst one of the worst stadiums. Right. And that's why the Raiders got yeah. out of there. But yep. they still and but this but the A's still had to play there yeah. in front of six thousand people. Four thousand people. Yeah. It's 50 you know the only thing i don't like about it at the tropicana site is like so you're limiting it to thirty thousand. it's like there's certain like if the yankees come to town it doesn't matter if it seats 50 and 12 show but if you have it for 50 you can get 50 
So now you're maxed out at 30. Yeah. And there's no, again, no parking. Like there's plenty of places within 10, 15 minutes of the strip that where you can have cars park and not have this crazy gridlock that you're going to have now. Yeah, you have it now as it is. Imagine a football game. Like I said, I went to the concert for Godsmack, and I couldn't even get out of the Planet Hollywood fucking parking garage yeah. for like two hours. Dude, I, I had the same experience with uh, MGM and SmackDown, and uh, it was just, yeah, you're you're in there for an hour or two hours, and uh, but brilliance of the casinos because what what better thing to do instead of sit in your car but go back I, in i said fuck this i got back out and i had to wait to eat at a burger joint that was open and it still took an hour and a half to eat from. yeah it's you uh know, I, I pissed off my wife so we went to the shinedown concert at mgm so i said fuck this i'm gonna park across the street at fucking the truck it's yeah. free parking and it's parked in the garage well now she had to walk a quarter of a mile to go over the bridge and all the other shit but it was like, but on the back end, it paid off. Right. It's like, you know, you could walk across the street and stop in the the, the, the Tropicana, just go over the bridge and stay in the parking of the valet, and I'll go get the car and get you. But I don't want to have the same issue of having to sit around for an hour and a half yeah. after the show. Yeah. Well, there you have it, everyone. Uh, that's this week's uh, episode. And uh, the tip of the day for parking uh, during a concert on the strip. Yeah. And, uh, and, and remember, that walk is not that bad in comparison to having to sit for <laughs> an hour and a half, two hours. So if you're uh, coming into town for F1, uh, good luck. Uh, yeah. And uh, again, catch the uh, show on Sunday, 5 p.m. at the Silver Nugget. And it's at the Hefe uh, Event Center. So Hefe uh, Bet, Hefe Bet. So if you're Spanish and you want to make bets in your own language, go to hefebet.com. <laughs> there you have it, everyone. All right. Until next week, we'll see you then.